welcome to episode 519 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. I'm so excited for y'all to listen to this episode, which is an interview I did with Kate Claiborne about her romance love lettering, which is our latest pick for the Together We Read U.S. Digital Book Club program. This means that from February 10th through February 24th, readers in the United States can check out the ebook and audiobook of let- lettering from their digital library without any wait lists or holds. If you're not in the US, I still highly encourage you to check out Love Lettering because it is a just lovely, lovely book. It's also romance, which is great because you know you can check it out over Valentine's Day, get some extra love in your life. And yeah, I had a, a great time. I was about to say love again, like a lovely time. That's a lot of love in one introduction, and I'll spare you that. I had a wonderful time talking to Kate about her book, and I really hope you enjoy listening to this. Um, so if you want to get a hold of us, you can reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. You can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. And of course, you can always go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com, to get all of our past episodes, our reading challenge for 2021, and all sorts of fun goodies. So with that, I hope you enjoy this episode, which is an interview I did with Kate Claiborne on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Jill, and my guest today is critically acclaimed romance writer Kate Claiborne. Along with being the author of six novels, her work has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Oprah Magazine, and more. Her novel, Love Lettering, is our latest pick for Together We Read US. Kate, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to talk with you today. So can you start by giving our listeners a brief introduction to Love Lettering? Sure. Um, So Love Lettering is uh, a novel, a romance about uh, a young woman named Meg, who is a really accomplished hand letterer. Uh, So she designs wedding invitations, wedding programs, planners. um, And when we meet her at the beginning of the book, uh, she is confronted by Uh, the groom for a wedding that she designed the invitations for. And um, the the sort of inciting incident for the book is that the groom is able to pick up on a secret that Meg has, which is that sometimes she hides little messages in the work that she does. And he has been able to discern one of those messages. And that is why his wedding didn't end up happening. Um, and so the the book continues uh, with kind of their the friendship that grows out of that confrontation and um, their eventual falling in love. Your other romance novels have dual point of view characters, but in this one, you only focus on Megs. What was the reason for that? So there was a couple reasons for that. Um, I always knew that the book would only be in Meg's point of view. That is in part because... Um, one of the themes of the book is just how we read the signs that other people send to us. And so part of what the book is about is kind of how Meg learns to read uh, her love interest in the book, whose name is Reed. Um, And so you're having her experience of trying to figure him out a little bit. 
Um, so that that is part of the reason. The other uh, reason is that I did really want to write a book where I was really deeply in the perspective of an artist and thinking about how she saw the world around her. And so every part of the book is really about how Meg sees the world and how that influences the way she thinks about her art. Um, and so it was a really um, exciting exercise for me, I guess, to, to only write in Meg's point of view. And then um, it was really nice to build to where I wanted to get to with the hero read and have things revealed about him as well. It was, it was really fun to do that. I like that idea that the reader is sort of going along with it and only seeing what Meg sees. You know, that's mm -hmm. the thing I like about dual point of views is that there's a, you know, there are misunderstandings, but with that, you get both perspectives and you know things that the other character doesn't and, and such, but you don't have that with this. You're sort of as a reader going along with it and only know what Meg knows at that time. Yeah. And I think that um, for, for romance readers, uh, dual point of view is really um, kind of a standard of the genre. And, and I really love dual point of view too. And it can be risky to go single point of view. Um, but I think that often authors make choices for single point of view for storytelling purposes or kind of for emotional experience purposes. Um, and, and for love lettering, it was both for me. Like I, I was trying to do something related to the emotional experience of Meg and, and also something for, for the storytelling as well. I read in an interview um, you did with BookPage that part of the inspiration for love lettering came from you falling down the bullet journal rabbit hole of seeing amazing and handwriting that people do. I, I say this as someone who does bullet journaling myself. I've done it for several years. I cannot make very fancy things like that. So I just really feel that on a deeply personal level, like where you get inspired by that. <laughs> yes. Well, I also uh, bullet journal and, and have for, for a few years now. Um, my bullet journals are quite minimalist, um, sort of it, it, ruthlessly so. <laughs> um, but I, even, even though my bullet journals are that way, I still am really captivated by the stuff that you see on Instagram. Um, and I still follow all those bullet mm -hmm. journal hashtags, even though I'm never going to do one of those monthly spreads. Um, but it was fun to think about, um, a, per, a person who might turn that into a way of making a living and, and imagining things that I wish I could create, but do not have the talent to create. <laughs> I know when I first started bullet journaling, it was a little overwhelming to see those because yeah. there's sort of that, like, I will never be able to do that. And my poor little bullet journal layouts are not nearly that fancy, but yeah, now there's an element where I just like looking at it. It's, they're just pretty to look at. Yes. Yes. It's there's, they're very soothing to look at. So then did you, was there any other research involved with sort of understanding how someone like Meg, who has that job, like how she would do that or how her work works? I guess that's a terrible question, but yeah. yeah I mean, it was interesting. I think that, um, you know, some of what I did with Meg's job was obviously creative. Um, you know, I don't know how um, easy it would be to make a, a full life as a freelancer in that particular way. But, um, 
you know, Meg, that, that is sort of why I had Meg also having her hands in other types of design, right. That she had done wedding mm-hmm. invitations and programs. Um, because uh, people who are in the arts know that you're often cobbling together income from various sources. Um, I certainly did a lot of reading and research about hand lettering versus calligraphy. I read quite a bit about sign painting just because I wanted to know all the different, um, I don't know, kind of areas of handwriting professions. And there's actually quite a lot of them. So I read, I read quite a lot about things that really never made it into the book. Um, and I read a lot about the tools that she would be using. So the kinds of uh, supplies that an artist like that would use. And that actually was really fun. Um, if you're a school supply nerd or any kind of art supply nerd, um, it was a really fun type of research to do. Um, and for about a year, I would say anytime I went past a stationary shop, anywhere I was, I, I went into it. <laughs> um, so it was a really lovely book to research, not, not just that part, but also, you know, researching New York city and, and thinking about New York city. So Right. Cause that's, that's always one of the comments is that I've read of reviews is that this really is a, a love letter to New York city. Yeah. I, you don't live in New York city though, right? I don't live in New York city. Um, but I love New York city. Uh, it's one of my favorite places to visit. Um, and I really love, um, you know, when I, when I've gone to New York city, the, the thing I spend most of the time doing is learning the city with my feet, just walking and walking as much as I can. And so, um, you know, the idea of Meg going on those walks was sort of tied to my own positive experiences in the city. Um, and so I, the walks that are in the book are walks that I have done. Um, and then, you know, when I was writing the book, it was often really interesting, you know, the, the tools we have at our disposal now uh, via the internet make it so easy for you to revisit walks that you've done through mm-hmm. satellite maps and things like that. So I could always double check to make, you know, like this sign I remember from here, is that really where it is? Um, so it was lovely. I, um, I love doing it. Uh, and yeah, even though, even though I am not a New Yorker, it just, um, was really wonderful to write about. And also I think the fact that Meg and Reed are both not from New York mm-hmm. probably um, allowed me to get into their heads a little bit more about that. They don't, they don't have the native perspective of New York, I guess. Yeah. There's just something about New York city. It's, it's, it's almost mythical in a way. And yeah. I, maybe that's because I'm someone who doesn't live there, but loves visiting that I, I take that I'm sure as a native, you know, people who live there, it's a little bit different, but yeah, there's just something about New York. Something's something magical about it. There is, there is. And now we'll take a quick break for a word from this week's sponsor. I don't know about y'all, but even though I work from home, my mornings are still super busy and just feel like they fly by between, you know, trying to wake up, feed our million cats. Just kidding. There's only four. Um, Getting a workout in, getting breakfast all before I sit down at my um, home office and record this lovely podcast along with my other work things. It's just bananas busy in the morning. 
which is why I love this week's sponsor, Kenco, because Kenco makes seriously nutritious smoothies for seriously busy people. Kenko's breakfast smoothies are only made from organic whole fruits and vegetables, flash frozen and slow dried to lock in all the fiber nutrients. Nothing added and no fiber taken out. They're also super easy to make. No blender, juicer, or kitchen needed. Pour the Kenko packet into water or your favorite milk, shake it up, and take it on your day. They also have a nutrition quiz on their website, kenko.com which you can fill out for your flexible monthly order with your choice of 15 functional flavors that match your goals and taste. So now you can start creating healthy habits right now. If you go to kenco.com PBN, pick out your flexible monthly order and the first 100 listeners will get 25% off your first order. That's kenco.com PBN and you can get 25% off but only if you're one of the first 100. You love the show. We love all of you. So get this special deal. That's 25% off for the first 100 listeners at K-E-N-C-K-O dot com slash PBN. this research and things you've done with handwriting and calligraphy and hand lettering, I, I feel like it's probably safe to assume you have some opinions on fonts. Um, in particular, I'm, I want to know if they're, you know, like when you're writing, are there particular fonts you, you find yourself gravitating towards? There are, um, I would say, uh, I've written, I've written a couple of books in the Georgia font. That's a font I like quite a bit. Um, but, uh, I think probably what people would be interested to know is that usually when I am starting a new book, I do, um, in Scrivener, I pick a different font for my chapter headings and a different font for the body of the text, um, which is hugely not necessary before I send it to my publisher. I have to, you know, standardize it all into, right. you know, Times New Roman or something like that. But for me, for my eye, I like to have um, fonts in my head. So, um, you know, for uh, love lettering, when I was writing love lettering, the chapter headings all were in this sign painter font, which, um, you know, is sort of a handwriting font. Uh, and then the body of the text was different. For the book that I just, uh, that is coming out soon, I use like a script font for the chapter headings. So yeah, um, I'm interested in fonts and that predates my writing of love lettering. <laughs> um, and they are, I feel like for me, uh, I don't know, they're sort of part of my organizing experience of writing in some ways. Yeah. There's, I, I say this as someone who, when I write, I use the comic sans. I'm, I'm a true believer in the mm -hmm. comic sans. It works. It sounds ridiculous, but it works. And then for revision, I usually tend to pick something a little more traditional or, um, even serif, which I don't usually write in ever, but for revision, it works. Like it's that switch in my brain, but it's, I, I love that you make chapter headings different. It, it almost speaks to like it already envisioning it as you would a final book, you know, because they will put a lot of thought into the fonts used particularly for chapter headings. So there's like, you know, that that's a character in itself almost. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, 
it it does help me envision it as a real book. There's a like you know to me it it gives it a sense of um, I don't I don't know what the the right word is here, but it it reminds me of what I'm doing. I guess um, I have tried the Comic Sans trick too when I've been really stuck. Um, but I always have to open up a separate document and then kind of fool around in Comic Sans there. Uh, because if I see Comic Sans mixed with my other fonts, uh, that, mm-hmm. that, that seems to block me even more <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> so. that, that is fair. It is an intense font. It's, it is. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't even, I think it was just on Twitter, um, like maybe six months ago, a year ago time has no meaning where somebody talked about using comic sans and yeah. it's like turned something off in your brain almost. Cause you're so not used to seeing it that. Yeah. I 100% use it when I'm drafting. I love it. Um, the problem is sometimes I will forget to change it back. And like, I've used it for work related things. And there was, there was one particular item where I used the comic sans. I saved it as a word doc later went in to send it to somebody because of the timing though I delayed the delivery on it which was good because I forgot to change it back to something else I almost mm-hmm. sent them something in comic sans luckily I was like oh no I have to stop that and <laughs> you caught it, it. <laughs> I caught it <laughs> that's good so are you a fast drafter when you're in comic sans are you able to draft quickly yes I I use comic sans and I write in sprints um I do like 15 minute sprints sometimes for like, you know, like an hour, two hours, but I will always do it in, in 15 minute sprints. And, um, if I'm in a good group, yeah, I can, I can bang out a lot of words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Well, I yeah. want everyone who's listening to know that I'm an extremely slow drafter. So if you are too, <laughs> that's okay. That is okay. That is okay. Whatever um, gets the book written. That's right. So how, you know, on that, like, how did you get into writing romance? Um, well, I came to romance a little bit uh, later. I, I never read romance until I was in my 20s. Um, and I know many of my friends in the community um, started reading romance when they were in their early teens. And so I feel like I got a late start. Um but I started reading romance. Uh, I had, I've told this story before, but I had moved to a new place. Um, I had uh, moved to a new place for a new job. And so I was in a place where I really didn't know anybody yet. Um, I, I hadn't made good friendships where I moved to yet. Uh, so that feeling of really being um, just, just starting over, it can be really disorienting and, and difficult. And so, um, one of the first things I did in the, in the new place I moved to was I got a library card. That is um, something I do anytime I have moved. <laughs> um, and so I was in the library, in the local library. Uh, it was a really small branch library. And I saw this book on the shelf that um, had a blue cover and a picture of a shoe. And it just was really cheerful. And I I read the back cover and there was like a short bio of the author and the author was um, Jennifer Cruzy, and it mentioned that she was from Ohio, which is where I had, um, where I had lived before. That was where I had moved from. And so, I don't know, it was just like a moment of homesickness, I guess. And um, so I got this book and it was Bet Me, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know if you know, and 
uh, I read it and I mean, I have been a romance reader since then. Uh, and so there's like a period of time where I, you know, I think for a couple of years, I just read everything I, I could. Um, and I didn't really know many people who read romance and I certainly wasn't part of online communities. So I was just reading, reading, reading anything I could get my hands on. And then um, I think it was from there. I just sort of got the idea, you know, maybe I, maybe I would like to, to write one of these someday too. Um, so that's really what started it, the love for reading them. And I think that's true for a lot of romance writers. Uh, so that's how it happened for me too. Yeah. Romance uh, writers and readers, it's a very special community that yeah. there's some really lovely people in. Yeah. And I think that for a lot of romance writers, um, they have the experience of like thinking they want to do it and, and reaching out to an author. And my experience has been that um, there are romance authors out there who are just, they will just reply to your email and, and answer questions that you have. And, um, you know, that was really lovely for me. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it began as a journey of reading and grew from there. So you mentioned um, that you were at the library. So mm -hmm. have you always been a big library user? Always. Uh, all through my childhood, you know, trying to do those summer reading programs, getting every single sticker. <laughs> um, yes, we, uh, my family was a big library family. My brother worked at the library. <laughs> um, so yeah, libraries have been a, a big part of my life and still are. So are there any um, romance books that you're reading now or have recently read that you're really excited about? So I've got a couple, um, that I, that I finished recently that I loved. I love, I just finished, uh, the new, the latest Alyssa Cole reluctant Royals book, um, how to catch a queen. I loved that. Um, I read it in one day, which is a real achievement because I don't, I don't know if anybody else has struggled with reading a bit more, uh, during mm -hmm. the pandemic, but I certainly have. Uh, so I loved that. I've got a couple of advanced copies of books, um, including Sally Thorne's Second First Impressions, um, Joanna Shoup's latest, The Heiress Hunt. I really love historicals. Um, and so, and I, I especially love to read historicals when I'm drafting. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. And I also, um, I also, in sort of a gesture to the moment we're living into, I've also just done a lot of rereading lately. Mm -hmm. So favorite books of mine that I've gone back to. I don't know if that's been your experience too, but that's been real, really comforting for me to go back to books that I love. Yes, I have been rereading and um, rewatching a lot of things. I mm -hmm. think the world feels so uncertain right now that going back and rereading a book, knowing how it's going to end, um, is, is always a good thing, but also, you know, romance is like that too, in that, you know, you know, they're going to end up together. So there's something yes. comforting in that too, that I always like, as long as you can like get through the angsty part, um, that inevitably happens in a lot of romance novels, but there's something comforting in, in knowing that you're reading this book, there's these two people and they're going to be together at the end. Yeah. I've been thinking lately about rereading, um, and sort of why it's so, comforting at a time when, you know, it feels like during a pandemic, what we should be craving is new experiences because so much of our lives mm -hmm. are, are kind of the same every day. Um, but I think one thing I was thinking about recently is that 
you know, a unique part of the pandemic experience is that so many of us are missing people so much. Um, there are so many people that we can't see uh, or connect with in the ways that we really want to. And something about rereading for me, I think is comforting because it's like a, a way to access characters that I miss um, in a way that's easy when there's so many other sort of people in my life that I miss that I can't access right now. Um, so rereading has been a, a big part of my reading life lately. That's very true. Thinking about it that way. Yeah. It is a little bit like revisiting old friends that you, yeah. you can't see the real yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> so as I mentioned at the beginning, love lettering has been chosen as the next together. We read digital book club pick. So that means from February 10th through February 24th. So right over Valentine's Day, which is perfect. Readers all over the U.S. will be able to read the ebook or listen to the audiobook of Love Lettering without wait list or holds from their library's Overdrive collection. So, what was your reaction when you found out Love Lettering had been chosen? I mean, uh, so as I said, <laughs> libraries are such a big deal to me that this was just a real thrill. Um, and my own home library uses Overdrive, so. Um, I'm very familiar with the experience of being on a wait list for a book, yeah. uh, for an ebook and waiting for it to come in. And so the idea that um, I'm one of those, those books that, that people can get right at the moment with no wait is just, that's like a dream come true for, for a library user. So I'm just really thrilled and, and I, hope, I hope people will enjoy the experience of reading the book. I think they will. It's a really delightful book and uh, just the story is so fun and Perfect. Yeah. And again, it's right over Valentine's Day, which just seems quite it's timely. The, it's the right time of year for it. <laughs> it's for the sure. right time of year for it. Um, so as my final question for those people who do check it out, what do you hope they take away from reading love lettering? Um, I think that um, one thing I would say uh, is important to me about the book is just the notion that uh, happily ever afters um, in romance mean, uh, certainly they mean a happily ever after in a romantic relationship. That's what defines the genre, but also in love lettering, I really tried to, um, think about what happily ever after means in friendships too. Um, so, and in kind of your professional life too. And so, um, just thinking about the idea of fulfillment in relationships and how that makes us better romantic partners as well. Um, I guess I also hope that being in Meg's head um, gives people the experience of seeing the world in a different way. Um, that was one of my goals in writing Meg. And certainly when I spent so much time with her as I wrote the book, I started to see the world differently too. Um, I think even now I carry Meg with me. I, I pay attention more to the signs and symbols around me. And I hope readers will have that experience too. I hope it will get them looking up at the world around them. Perfect. Kate, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me and, and thank you so much for making me a part of this program. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com.
It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.